If you haven't watched Secret Chef, please do so. It's at Hulu. And listen, you may watch and be like, this is not a normal food competition reality show. Guess what? Because it's not. It's, it's a game show. And think about it that way. It's on Hulu. It's streaming now. Very fun. And kids enjoy it. So check that out. And in all things Discord, you can see our Major Domo Media community at majordomomedia.com. There's a link that will take you to our Discord channel. You can find someone computer literate. If you are having trouble, and we have a great community there where we talk about all things culture, how to live life a little bit more deliciously. We have great discount codes to any day cookware, to athletic brewing. I had three athletic lights yesterday, 25 calories a pop. It's very delicious. And to comment your coffee. And of course, all things Momofuku at shop.momofuku.com, also available nationwide at a variety of stores. And there's a new product coming soon. And then I was told I can't talk about it yet, but it's very delicious. This just in, by the way, Dave, a, a new discount code added to our Discord for 15% off East Fork pottery. What? Yeah, man. <laughs> there, I, I yeah. didn't get the memo. <laughs> Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dumb Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. We have a guest today. His name is Ron Parker. He is world-class restaurant operator. We'll get into that in a second. And if you're listening, I know that sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know if I can learn anything about this, or this isn't my industry. Well, to be honest, if you're going to listen to this interview we're going to do, it may not be interesting to you whatsoever because this is very restaurant-oriented talk. Two, you most likely might know somebody that is beginning the restaurant journey where they're thinking about opening up their own business or making some kind of career change or something along those lines. You should direct them to the new project that Ron's working on, which is Hospitality MX. And you can visit that at hospitality. No, you can visit at hmxus.com. And I think so, so highly of Ron Parker. He has been there and done it all. And his name carries a tremendous amount of weight. You may not, he did not want to come on this podcast, by the way. I, 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 I like forced him to do so because he doesn't like being the face of anything. He has made a career of being the guy behind the restaurant and the restaurateurs and the chef. He is one of the most giving people I've ever met. And he's doing this really as a service to the industry. So this is not necessarily a restaurant focused interview, but I think that I would like people to use it. Even if you're not starting a restaurant, you may want to know connections to somebody that could help you. Time and time again, I'm, I'm getting asked by people that I admire, they might be younger, they might be older, about how to do something. And if I don't have the answer, at least I am now blessed with the connections where I can figure it out. Or finding the capital to start a restaurant. Or contracts. You know, I, I've always said that People that are fundraising restaurant concepts, they're trying to lock, most of the time, they're trying to lock you into a contract like, you know, those recording labels did in the 40s and 50s. It's, it's very complicated. They're trying to get you lost. 
Maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not. And you can sign a really bad deal, and that's a sad thing. And I think ultimately, Ron's just tired of seeing so many people get screwed. And by by getting permits, getting fundraising, getting any idea of all the changing landscape that can happen in, a re, in, in the restaurant universe. And, you know, I say in the podcast with the interview that this idea that he's turned into a reality is Ron. I think I will always use Ron as a resource because he's constantly connecting. He's always making things better and easier. And he's legitimately one of the very, very, very best operators in the country. And we'll go into an explanation of what a restaurant operator is because you may not have heard that title before. A COO, chief operating officer, is very different, I think, in a restaurant world than it is in, say, a tech world. Ironically enough, what he's now working on is a tech uh, business. But, you know, if I had this, I, I mean, so much of, the beginnings of when I started Momofuku almost didn't happen because I was just so disillusioned with the permitting process. How am I going to navigate this? How much money do I need to raise? There's no questions. And for a business that has such a high failure rate, it doesn't have to be that way, right? A lot of this information isn't a secret. It's information that you sort of just have to be in this, you know, club of sorts we're not even a club. Like nobody talks about it. Nobody gives it out, but people ask for it all the time. So excited to have Ron on this podcast. And uh, if you're in the industry, please check out his new endeavor, uh, Hospitality MX. But before we get into that, we're going to do one question of an Ask Dave. And I think it's a doozy. And then we'll get into an interview with Ron Parker. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. So we have an Ask Dave question. One, we're going to, again, if you've been listening, we've been screwing around with formats like every time, every podcast. So Apologies, but we're trying to compile and and get this shaped up in a way that is the most entertaining for you. And maybe we'll do a larger Ask Dave at a later date, but this was maybe a good idea to start maybe with just a one question Ask Dave. Yeah, this is a pretty well thought out question very with very specific and uh, provocative questions here. It's from Tim W. I'm going to read this thing. Sure. Hey, Dave, I'm reaching out about my friend, let's call him Jay, who's looking for a good restaurant for his date situation. (laughs) Here's his question I'm forwarding to you in its entirety. Hey, chef, I've been divorced for two years between work and seeing my daughter. I never really thought about dating again. But a few weeks ago, I met someone who might change my mind about all of this at the Delta Lounge at SFO. 
I was on my way to New York for work, but we've been texting pretty frequently, and I think I'm ready to take the plunge and ask this person out on a date. I trust your expertise on all things restaurants, and you probably get this question all the time, but what's a good first date restaurant in the Bay Area? Our friend Tim sent says, I recommended some grown-up restaurants, Chez Panisse, French Laundry, or Nobu in Palo Alto, Palo Alto. But I was wondering if you could shed some light on the subject. Thanks, Tim. All right, well, Dave. Well, first, I have two questions. Jay is him. Jay is the person going on the date. Yeah, but I think Jay is the guy writing the email to us as well. Yes. And right? Tim has... T- no, no, Jay <laughs> is Tim. I'm saying Jay is Tim. Oh, Jay is Tim. I think he's only oh, trying okay, to do okay. this as like a... I seriously, I fell for it. This person's like, no way, I go to There's no way this is two people. Yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, other sentence that I think is like funny is like, seeing my daughter, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you... <laughs> okay. So this is the guy who's doing an anonymous Ask Dave about a fictitious friend Right, right, that right. is him. So Jay is the person that he's talking about. His friend. That's my opinion. Anyway. Yes, yes, yes. This is like, uh, my friend has a weird growth. And uh, can you tell me about it? Yes. So I feel like I've seen this now more and more, especially some of my friends that have been married, have children, and are now getting back out there in the world. I think mm-hmm. it's a daunting task. I... <laughs> I think that we should talk about this in a in a way that you got to break it up. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go back on a date, the one thing I will recommend of what not to do is don't take them to a fancy restaurant. Absolutely not. Do not take them to, if you're in the Bay Area, what's the, what are the three Michelin star restaurants in the San Fran? Quince, Benu, Benu and Dominique Crenn. Crenn. Atelier Crenn, yeah. And in Napa, you have Single Thread. And French, pers- and French laundry. That's it. Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. Don't take those off your list. I think finding the right date restaurant. I met someone who might change my mind about this. Take some and plunge and ask them out on a date. You want to do via negativa. Let's just start removing options for the first date. The reason you fancy. don't want to take them to a fancy restaurant is number one, too much food. And it seems too too thirsty too what is this what's the word no that is it's way too thirsty you are trying way too hard if you the idea oh wow the idea of taking somebody to the french laundry on a first date is cuckoo pants that's crazy like it's certainly a person it certainly have happened many many times for sure but those people i mean maybe it's worked in certain situations and i don't want to hear about it but generally speaking if so, if you're the person who's been taken to the French Laundry <laughs> on a first date, I mean, like that's a that's a red flag. When we opened up Co, it was 600 square feet. I could hear every conversation, so I saw this happen in real time, and I know I've talked about it sometimes because I it's just burned in my mind at the amount of times. And it, unfortunately, it was always guys bringing a girl to a date. Um, Where it was such a hard reservation to get that by getting the reservation, it was a sign of their like, you know, look how alpha I am. 
yeah, yeah. Look how cool I am. I, I don't know what it was, but it, I don't want to typecast a stereotype, but it's clearly <laughs> a person that had no shot of dating, hooking up whatsoever. <laughs> and to do this restaurant as a way to impress the date, I think is just a wrong move. And it would be very funny to see these dates just go down in a horrible plane crash. Um, mm-hmm. And also very, very funny. It's just so funny too. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's also like these restaurants take a certain level. It's first of all, it's wasteful on your part. You're not going to enjoy going to this restaurant, especially if you're, you're somebody like this, who's just starting dating again. You're going to be nervous and anxious. You're not going to remember anything that you're eating. It's just on a very basic level. You are wasting your time and money. It's hard to have a conversation when, number one, if you're doing a tasting menu, you're looking at anywhere from, a, quite frankly, a three to six hour dinner. Oh, my God. You don't know the person well enough to have these conversations, number one. Yeah. Maybe. I'm just saying there's exceptions to the rule, clearly. Two, you're eating so much. You're going to eat so, so much. Maybe not if you go to a three Michelin star sushi restaurant or super high end, but let's talk about that in a little second. You got to hold off on that. Too much food, too much booze. You're going to be, if you're a drinker, you're going to be blind drunk by the end of this Mm -hmm. meal. You're just not Mm going to feel good. Again, every Mm -hmm. time I've eaten at Per Se and the French Laundry, three times, three times I vomited. Because it's just too much. Would I go back? Yes, it was awesome. But like, yeah, you don't want that feeling. It's just so much. This brings up, this is like, this is a great point, I think, Chang, because I, 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 I'm imagining, here, here's, the, here's my basic premise for choosing a restaurant. Like, you want to pick a place where you are going to be at your best. <laughs> You're going to shine. Yeah, too, you need an too, arena. The, everything is shining shine elsewhere, right? Everything else is shining elsewhere. And, you're going to be super, you're not going to be comfortable, especially if you've never been to this restaurant. Like There's taking a, a date to say Noma for the first time. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Crazy. Even, even when I, you know, we've eaten in Noma a bunch of times. There's a certain like fun, nervous energy I have going to one of these restaurants. And that doesn't make you know, me you, you, you know what You know what it is for those that follow sports? Taking your date, guy or girl, to a highly coveted reservation restaurant. He's like, you're, you're basically Jordan Poole and not Steph Curry. You're, you're taking a half-court shot. You're down one. You could definitely go for two and win the game, but there's 12 seconds left, and you shoot it at the half, like maybe, maybe like 40 feet away, 35 to 40 feet out, and you didn't need to do that. And Steph Curry is wide open in the corner, wide open, and you shoot it with eight seconds left. So, like, every possible decision you could have made was the wrong decision at that time. And by taking your date out to a highly coveted, impossible restaurant, you've already lost. You just don't know it yet, except that you're going to be, like, $2,000 poor by the end of it. Yeah. I didn't understand the analogy at first, but you have panicked and done something very unnecessary. Total unnecessary. (laughs) Total panic move. (laughs) Take your mom. Take your best friend. Yeah. Take yeah. whoever. Yeah. Just don't take a first date. Lord Almighty, don't, don't take don't, so date. so so Jay slash Tim. Don't don't go to one of the San Francisco's got a lot of super fine dining restaurants. So that's out. 
I'm going to give you what I think is the best first date restaurant maybe in the country. Now, definitely in San Francisco. We'll see in New York. It's a wholly different thing. And I don't want to discount the rest of America. So I think for a first date, not that I have in a long time, but if I was single, Grace, don't worry, it never happened. But theoretically, I would take, and I was in San Francisco. And I had a dual personality as Jay slash Tim. <laughs> I would take her or him to Zuni Cafe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bravo. That's, that's the spot. That's a first date restaurant. I think the first date, if you can swing it, should be a lunch. Lunch deal. Daytime. Which, coffee, by the way. Even coffee. By you, the way, lunch at Zuni, very, very, very strong move. It's a great, good move. great restaurant. Beautiful light, right? Mm-hmm. And what it's the kind of restaurant where you can't go wrong ordering. You can go light, or you can go heavy and finish off with the chicken and the penzanella salad. You get oysters, salad, call it a day, right? You can see how you can also at Zuni order as you go a little bit, except for the chicken is a our commitment, you know. But even still, you could see maybe you. Order piecemeal. You could say, hey, you know what? Like, I really want to get the chicken, but it takes so long. You know? Let's just. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a power move. You get some oysters, get some like a, you know, pluot endive salad or whatever. San Francisco nonsense. <laughs> Frog's hollow. <laughs> with yes, with a wrong. triple girl, trippy, triple cowgirl creamery tree cheese thing. I think if, I think that listen. Did I just name a salad? We, well, no, but we, yes, we cowgirl creamer, triple cheese thing, triple yes. cream cheese. We are speaking very positively yes. about Zuni right now, but I will also say that I believe Zuni is the actual home of the figs on a plate. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It is the home. And didn't I never said I didn't like figs on a fucking plate? But listen, um, also anchovies and cheese. Yeah, it's like it's, it's everything. A snacky, you got have a so many things. If some, if your date is a vegetarian, vegan, easy. It's a very accommodating restaurant. And depending on how well this first date is going, you can be like, you know what? I got some time. Why don't we, 30 minutes in, 45 minutes in, let's order the chicken. That's the move. You know it's going well. If, if 30 minutes in, you're like, I'm committing to another hour and a half of this. And then, like gonna- then you can actually see if the date's going well. And then for me, if it, let's just say it was a theoretical date and I'm Jay slash Tim <laughs> and great. We got oysters. We got the endive pluot frogs, hollow salad. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Garcon, please let's get the, let's get the chicken with the panzanella salad. Right. And it comes and, I, and I'm feeling it. I'm like, I'm texting you when I go to the bathroom. I'm like, Chris, I know this I, is my first date since getting divorced, but I think I'm in love. Right. <laughs> I ordered the chicken. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm ordering the chicken. sure, man? Take as, easy, as take euphoric slow. as I might feel, this kid, this is a good test. This is how you could test the date. And By the way, Zuni, if you take somebody to Zuni, like, if, even if they are the most San Franciscan person in the world, you take them to Zuni, like, they know you know what's up. You know who took me on a date there recently? One. Corey Lee. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Corey. We did. We had a wonderful meal together. It was great. Two old friends catching up. I loved Beautiful. it. And guess what? We got the chicken and it was wonderful. <laughs> it was everything I wanted it to be. 
And honestly, that's a platonic relationship. Imagine if it was somebody that had a romantic interest in. <laughs> I love you, Corey, but not in that way. I, it would have been sick. So yeah. this is where I feel like if you're going to get a chicken, you can. These are markers. These are red flags. First red flag is potentially if you get the chicken and they go for the white meat. I'm not calling them back ever again. <laughs> <laughs> if they go straight for the dark meat. Oh, man. There are so many tests. There. So many that's tests. Right. So many that's tests. So good. Yeah. If they ask for sauce on the side or like, oh, that's too salty. I was like, well, they're out. <laughs> uh, by the way, there are other, there are other like very tangible elements of Zuni that I think make it a good date restaurant. I know we're not talking about just like the restaurant as a date place, but I was looking at this list of, you know, uh, Chicago, you know, it's a great date, date place too. It's like a great date place. Yeah. Great date place. But- for me, there's also a thing where it's just, you know, I was looking at this list of most romantic restaurants in SF, and I was like, I've been there. You are cramped. It's a fun restaurant, but you're cramped. You know, there's there's, there's physical elements to these restaurants, and Zuni is a great place where you aren't crammed in. Every seat is beautiful. Can I give you another contender for SF? What? Great, 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 great first date. Ah, this might be better than Zuni. It's Swan <laughs> Oyster Depot. Yes. Yes. Because mm, you can wait you in line together. To. You can wait in line together. Right? That might be the problem. I think a great first date is, hey, meet me at Swan Oyster Depot at 1130, but I had to get there at 1045, so we only have to wait for 15 minutes. Well, yeah, that's cl- clearly the move. If you have to ask that question, then you shouldn't be... <laughs> okay, okay. I just didn't think that standing in line for an hour yeah, and Standing a half in line for like 15 date. minutes, like playing like, oh, you know, yeah, I haven't been waiting here long at all. As you you hide your, but I think Zuni Zuni might be a better second date too. But I was only Mm. saying that because it's only open for lunch, right? Oh, you mean Swan? Swan Swan. is better for second. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would also add this to a restaurant like Zuni: light, airy, lots of options. Not vanilla at all. Delicious. You can read the room. Restaurants that are chains, amazing first first date restaurants. Interesting. What pasta, kind of pasta, pasta about? in San Francisco. <laughs> There's also pasta, pasta in New York. Why do amazing. you say that? But that's not open for lunch because it's it's Italian. It's fun. They do the table side pasta thing. I would also say, like any of the Hillstones, Houston's restaurants, because not only would that be a first date, that's like an anniversary thing. You, you do, who cares? It, it matches every occasion, right? So I, I, I love, I love Hillstones, Houston's. I'm, I, I like going to the Cheesecake Factory. Frankly, maybe Cheesecake Factory I, is a I'm, great first uh, well, date. Well, here's the does thing: it t- does it say too much? It's, it's no, it doesn't say too. It says more than you might eat too much. To let off. <laughs> You might you might get Evelyn's favorite pasta and eat too much. My only thing with I love those restaurants. I think that's maybe a later down the line only because I think pasta pasta yes. Houston's Hillstones cheesecake for me is like if they don't know me, they might think I'm basic. If I'm like let's go to the cheesecake factory <laughs> and nothing one. wrong with being basic, Chris Yang. <laughs> I mean, I agree. But I think it might say too much. All right. So that would be a first date. I would try to do a a daytime date, right? Mm. Just avoid brunch. Jay slash Tim. (laughs) Tim J. Now, (laughs) 
The second date, I think, is an interesting proposition. Because if you get to a second date, you can't do lunch again because then now that's fucking weird. Yes. But you also are just trying to get a a, a read on the the guy or girl. Mm -hmm. You want to put them out of a normal element, in my opinion. You want something that is fun, tactile, experiential. I think something like a Benihana, it's fun. Benihana or a like if I was on in uh, like a bowling alley that mm-hmm. has a good restaurant, something like that, where you can get chicken fingers and stuff like that. Heidi Lau. Heidi Lau. Ooh, really good. Hot pot, yeah. Really good. You can learn a lot. You are tested. Oh, that's, I, I love Benihana's suggestion. I'm loving this. Because you're, you're, especially if you're going to a second restaurant in a row, you do need to mix it up. You need to mix it up. Something in that, like San Juan in San Francisco, right? Ooh, very good. Right? And if you are in LA, I would do Gardena Bowl for sure, right? Yeah. If I was in New York, I, you know, there's, there's something where there's other things to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would go to a bowling alley for a second date, not to go bowling, just to eat, because I think that looks cool. Because the bowling on a second date is so, so, so trite. Now. It's just... That's what you're supposed to do. Look how funny I am in these shoes. <laughs> no. Look how sweaty I get playing this very not active sport. <laughs> so anything I'm that's fun, I think, is what you do. I'm with that. I saw I saw on this on the same list of romantic SF restaurants, they had suggested this Swiss fondue place Ooh. called Matterhorn. I was like, hmm. And you know, you know why I think for a first or second date, yes, depending on the type of person you are, I think we're still in the zone for most people where consummating the relationship is not yet fully on the table, and you can still well, eat yeah, a bunch yeah. of I would cheese. say if, if, if we're also not, we're, I think it's important that Tim slash Jay is divorced <laughs> with child because I don't know what it's like to, from what I've been told. Younger peoples, they don't even like go to a restaurant anymore. They just look yeah, across yeah. the street, be like, "Yep, that's you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get out of here." <laughs> yeah, this is for dating, not hookup culture. It's like literally as the crow flies. Let's just get to <laughs> right. why why humans are together to begin with. <laughs> Restaurants play no role in the yeah. hookup. We're talking about people that are not that. That we're talking about Tim J, who's looking for a relationship. <laughs> that want to have a you know a partner. Taking it a little slow, slower, you old know. fashioned, boomer style. <laughs> <laughs> so the third, let's just say you get to a third date. I think this is an important date. Okay, I think if you're in San Francisco, this is where San Francisco really owns this this kind of restaurant. Because now you've already had the intro, you've had the fun. I'm a cool. Look at my sarcasm. Ha ha ha. Bye. <laughs> Now you got to get a little bit serious. You want to get those moments where you're like starting to judge that other person a little bit more. How they eat, what they eat. You need a little bit more serious things. What they drink. You know what I mean? They're drinking like Red Bull vodkas and shit like that. Like, hey, you know, you got maybe it's a red flag. You got to look for the red flags. So you want a restaurant that is a perfect environment for this. Mm-hmm. And this is what San Francisco should be known for. The Italian New New American. <laughs> the Italian New American is the San Francisco. It's literally San Francisco. 
it should just be on the the city's flag and motto. We have we have new Italian restaurants. SPQR. This is, this is flour and water. Delfina. Uh, Delfina. Oh, so many Delfinas. So good. Rich Table. Shout out mm-hmm. Evan and Sarah. Uh, Nari is even a great, even though that's not um, Italian. I was just there. Delicious. And you get that awesome dessert. Um, you know, in, in New York, things like Via Carota, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, e Sodi, uh, Jody Williams, two restaurants, things like that, right? Yeah. Where it's not intimidating. And you can choose a variety of things that are delicious. And you can take a look at the wine list. You can judge so much about how somebody's like, or like, hey, I don't drink at all. It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think you're right. And these, now we're getting into, you know, a more romantic setting. I feel like with these restaurants. Yeah, very romantic without being like, ugh, this is a taste. over the top. It's not as serious. Right, it can yeah, be yeah, casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeping it casual, and now you, that you have two dates under your belt, and a bevy of text messages with emojis, no emojis, <laughs> no emojis yet. Uh-uh. You can have a conversation over food because you can now talk about things. I think it's important. It's a restaurant where the music's not too loud, the food's good, not service isn't, you know obtrusive it's it's a good place to be and san francisco's got that so many i could i'm sure we could go on for chefico's another restaurant mm-hmm. now if you're so inclined after a third date i think the fourth date is where boomer style would be like maybe i try to consummate this <laughs> this date if you so choose we're boomer style our new clothing website <laughs> boomer style my motherfucker's wearing boomer pants <laughs> All right, so whether it's the fourth date or whatever you go to French Laundry. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Oh, that's the other time you should absolutely not be going to a tasting menu multi-course extravaganza is any date where you think this might be the time to consummate boomer style. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, (laughs) HR Hot Zone, Chris Yang. This is where I feel like we're going to get people may, I don't think there's going to be much disagreement on our first three dates, right? Yeah. Maybe the third date could be, you know, La Taqueria or something like that. Burrito could be a one too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Indian food for the second date or something. Korean food, anything that is delicious and different, I think is good, different from the Norman SF. But I do feel like the fourth date. This also could be the fifth date. You could recreate, you could do the, here's the thing with the third date. You could continue to use the third date for your fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh date until mm-hmm. you feel like there's a shot. There's the connections ready, right? <laughs> that's when you get sushi. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's when you get sushi. And this is where like, who gives a shit? If it's a thousand dollar sushi with six seats or it's just a place that has cream cheese in the middle. Don't matter. <laughs> Middle of your mocky roll. The Seattle dog roll. Well, interesting. Even in San Francisco, <laughs> I found a way to, to make fun of the Seattle dog. <laughs> no, no, but but interestingly, you know, here's the difference between hot dog vendors in Seattle and sushi sushi chefs. 
at least sushi chefs recognize the cream cheese roll as a Philadelphia roll. <laughs> that's what it's called. They call it the well, right There's no hot dog thing. in it. There's yeah, no hot that's dog. True. That's true. But that's true. That, that to me is the, the reason why is usually it's pretty brief, right? <laughs> Sushi Jiro, if you're so lucky to go, on average is like 25 minutes, 17 mm-hmm. to 25 minutes. That's like if there's no Utsumami, you just, you're Sushi, Nagiri, we go. We're done. <laughs> this is not boomer style anymore. And then now, it's, now, you know, now geriatric <laughs> National Geographic stuff. So sushi in general. Why? So Because it's light. It's filling, but light. Yeah. You don't have the opportunity to like overindulge even on dessert, right? right. Maybe you might have some bad, poorly made green tea ice cream. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Subconsciously, you're also eating this very, I hate describing food in this way, but it's, you know, it's tactile. It's like sensual. <laughs> like you're, you know, you're eating this food. That's very, I mean, yeah. for me, second date, I probably do like a horn barbecue personally mm-hmm. going back to the mm-hmm. second date. I keep on thinking about that tactile experience, something that's different and fun, but yeah. fourth date or fifth date, whenever I feel like it's consensual that this is going to happen, it's sushi time. Sushi time. And that's why. People eat sushi, folks. <laughs> Whether people realize it or not, it's not because it's delicious. It's not because it's gluten-free. It means that you're right. about to fucking bone. That's what it right. means. <laughs> we went straight into the hot zone. Listen, this is not just for that fourth date, by the way. This is for, I, I would I would say the same thing when it, you're, you're a parent who has, oh, it's date night. The kids are away. Where are we going to go? You're going to sushi, It's idiot. only sushi. <laughs> sushi or nothing yeah like or else what are you doing now here's my question for you Jake. it's taken me some time to understand this myself dumb dumb me i should write a letter to ask dave because <laughs> the first Grace time is always like, like let's do date night let's get sushi and i'm like no i don't want sushi <laughs> <laughs> you're like i heard there's this all you can eat indian buffet i've been trying to try <laughs> let's do the second date let's go to the second date <laughs> Well, okay. Let me <laughs> let me ask you this. So now we've established for the entire world from now and into eternity that sushi asking someone to sushi is basically you <laughs> putting yourself out there, being like, "Eh, yeah. tonight." Even if you're married, many years, it's the same <laughs> right? A hundred percent, huh? Sushi, huh? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Should we push the beds together? Or <laughs> so. Here's my question, though, Dave. Let's say it's date four. I'm like, I think this is it. I think it's happening. We're going to go to sushi. Nothing, nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Do I just keep going to sushi until it happens? No, you, no, no, no. Five, if six, if it doesn't, seven. I really think if it's sushi doesn't happen, you, you gotta, Let you gotta. Me. Then what do you then do? We're Do-do not prepared job. to talk about that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, honestly, I think that's true. If you, if you've both been on the number of dates that you think is, so you're happen, on a cleanse. You can't, and you, and you put sushi out there, and it doesn't, it doesn't result in where it's supposed to go. Might be over. The reason why I'm excluding wine bars altogether in dates is because it's too cliche now. It, it's it's, you know. I, I, I'm not a big wine bar person because 
it just isn't is it, it to me I, I it's no I, I don't like it I feel that too and I also feel like there's like a sort of like it, they might as well be playing Kenny G on the sound system <laughs> exactly there's a certain subtext there where you're just like this is sexy right we're drinking this is romantic this isn't is the Chardonnay Oki <laughs> this is not white doc <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in a wine bar, um, it, put, it puts the wine in the basket. <laughs> so listen, we, we Tim slash Jay, take this person out on a date. I would go to Basta Pasta or definitely Zuni Cafe. And if you're in New York, we we should go through. We should just create a guide of places where you should take first dates out, second dates, third dates, and fourth dates. Fourth date. <laughs> um, but I will say the where you want to get to. If you are dating, all right, to me, the, the platonic ideal of a date spot in hmm. general, your go-to date, if you are such a serial dater, it exists in San Francisco. Hmm. And that's Tosca, Tosca Cafe. Oh, yes, yes, yes. A thousand times. Yes, yes. That's the, why you the, want to be a regular. Like you can, the, if you are a regular and you have ability to get a table at Tosca, Tosca Ignore everything we just said of first date to fourth date. This is now, yeah. this is now Wembenyama territory. You yeah. can just do it all. If you've got the line on a regular table at Tosca, give me a call. I think this is, this is, so the so Tosca, room. the classic, but very, very, very smartly and uh, well re- redone with Ken made. Folk and, and you know, top, top restaurant designers, interior designers. I haven't Absolutely. been to the new version, but the old Tosca was sick. The back room, Sick. Everything about that vibe is sick. The food. Oh, it's not even really about the food, but the food's good enough. I just think that's the place where if you can land a date there every time, in my opinion, not that I'm an SF resident, I think that would be like, this is my go-to date place regardless. Yeah. Beautiful room. Super. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Tosca is such a good date spot. Insane. How do, why do I know all this about San Francisco? It's beyond me. I mean, this is this is the real thing that just came out here. For all the shit you talk about San Francisco, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> like you know why? It's not that hard. Not that. <laughs> not that. Uh, not much to sort of right. sort out. All right, you had given them. You'd thrown them a bone. Just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and a three mission star restaurant is for friends and gluttons and anniversaries. Anniversaries where and business really business business account <laughs> dinners, right? Anniversaries where you uh, don't you're not trying to boomer style it. <laughs> Let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Dave Chang and use the code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. That's code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. We are joined with the remote Chris Ying and our guest today, Ron Parker. I've known Ron a long time. There's very few people I, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound 
terrible when I say this. Speak highly love, speak highly love in the, the culinary <laughs> world, but Ron is one of them. Like, in a way that if somebody asked me, hey, who can I call to help me out with this situation? Who has seen it all in every variety, every angle? And I know we'll give you dependable advice and more importantly say, actually, I don't know that situation, but here's somebody that I know that can help you, right? And so let me rephrase this. Ron is the best person I can I think of in the industry to offer advice and meaningful help. And I can't say that for everybody. I think a lot of people say they can help, but they can't really deliver. And, and I've been really blessed to have them help me out in a variety of scenarios and circumstances. Uh, but welcome, Ron. Thank you, Dave. I can tell you right now, I can officially retire. After hearing that, I highlight you know, a lot of respect for you. Love working with you. Anything I can do for you and the team and you guys are spectacular. I love what you do, but uh, that's, uh, it's very flattering. And I can tell you, I'm going to tell my wife that I am retired. I'm done. (laughs) I'm out. It doesn't get any better than that. And I wanted to have you on because of everything I just said, very few people have done just about every job in the business, right? Um, There's a couple like casino executives I could think of, like Bob Bogner of Boyd Gaming started off as like a bellhop and then cook and chef and CEO and things like this. A lot of people want to get into profession and they may not understand that there are a variety of avenues to sort of progress. So how does one become an operations or how do you even define yourself now? An executive? Like what is, what is Ron Hmm. Parker these days? You know, I think I'm always, you know, when you're in operations and when you come from the kitchen, you know, I, I don't think that that ever leaves you. So even I like to say that I like to toggle between being an executive and also trying to always put myself in the mindset of all of our employees. You know, anytime I try to think of benefits, I think about the dishwasher that's working paycheck to paycheck. When I think about deals that we do or when we design restaurants, I mean, Dave, you know this firsthand, it's it's really putting yourself in the mindset of the person standing behind a counter in a kitchen. And how can we actually make their lives easier? How do we make it so that they don't have to move as much and it's efficient? And, you know, a lot of us, because of the complexities of this industry, we're just go, 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 go. And I think the industry continues to get harder. It was hard before COVID. It's much harder now. And I think as we move forward, uh, we have an obligation to look at each other and say, how do we actually make this better? for the next generation? How do we share a lot of our collective mind share with others so that it's still going to be a hard industry, but we need to give people better resources. And you and I came up in the industry the way everybody has a hundred years before us, get in the kitchen, go get burned, learn from me, work in the front of the house, work the dish pit. Um, There is always still going to be a physical manifestation of what you need to do in this industry to learn it. But at the same time, I think there's some institutional knowledge that we collectively as a team and as an industry, need to figure out ways that we can use the digital A's to pay that, pay that knowledge forward, quite frankly. So I'm, I'm still an operator, always going to be. And I, so this is a interesting so you want to be, right? Um, I want to sort of fast forward for those that are already cooking and or they're working some kind of managerial role in a restaurant. And I get this question a lot, Ron. You're literally starting a business to help out this. And this is why I think it's a really good time to talk about this. 
especially the past three years with COVID, many people, including myself and yourself, everyone's asking, what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? What's the trajectory for me? So a lot of chefs are like, hey, I don't really, what's the point? I don't want to get mission stars. I don't want to do this. What's the next thing for me? I do love the business. It's what I know. It's what, what's next. Can you offer some kind of advice? Like, how did you get to where you are? Because you are now the working the COO for Jose Andres Restaurant Group. Um, you work with Related. That's how we met before. And you were the same position with Danny Meyer and Union Square Hospitality and a whole host of other positions before that. And you were a board member for Momofuku. And I, I just was still, even though you're not on the board, I think we speak to you probably more than when you were on the board. How does someone get to that position? Because I do say this when people ask, hey, I need help or hey, how do I become like Ron, right? People want to get to be like you. Can you give them a trail of breadcrumbs? Like what do they need to do to transition to a role where they're not in the kitchen anymore or working the floor? It's a really good question. Um, You know, it's so funny because I'm going to pivot it back to you, but then I'll try to answer it. Growing up in the industry and in the kitchen, I always wanted to be you. I always wanted to be be Dave. I always wanted to be the chef that everybody knew about. Um, it was the head ones in the industry that made me realize that if you don't have access to capital and all of your friends and family aren't able to fund you, it is almost impossible to raise the funds that are needed, especially in New York City. If you think about New York City, San Francisco, major metropolitan areas, the cost to raise the money, not only is it unclear, but it's almost impossible to do it. So I took a different journey. I always thought I would be a Dave Chang or I'd work for Dave Chang and I'd be you one day. Um, ultimately, I, I took a lot of pride in just putting my head down and never wanting to be the face of a business, but wanting to perfect all the elements of operating a business. So you know, my path, which was unique for, for a lot of people, is coming from the kitchen, coming from front of house. And it was a non-traditional path because my father was an engineer he always wanted me to learn AutoCAD. Now, in a million years, you can't make the story up. I didn't think, why am I going to need AutoCAD? Like, what am I going to do with that? And ultimately, what happened? What is AutoCAD? I don't even know what <laughs> AutoCAD you, is. So AutoCAD is it's AutoCAD is what you use to design kitchens. It's what architects use. It's it's a drafting software. And so, what I ended up doing is I learned AutoCAD, and then just literally, as the world works. Um, I was in situations where we were doing a lot of construction and development at restaurant associates and working with Danny and, and, you know, with construction, opening restaurants, there's always complications. So ultimately I started to use it as the language to communicate with other architects to make changes. So as, as weird as the path sounds, Dave, the easy answer was I started to use and learn technology to communicate with our architects, our engineers, our designers, because I knew as a chef that some of the stuff I was seeing on paper was not going to work long-term for the employees. It wasn't going to work behind the hotline. So it was actually learning the tools of the trade from other people that we would traditionally engage and then applying those tools. And that took me on a path to get into business development, negotiating deals, designing restaurants. But it started with the most basic element. It was actually the graphic design tools, if you will, for the industry. And how do you design a restaurant, which actually created some currency for me in the industry and people started to lean into it. Can, can I ask either one of you to explain something for the, for the sake of our audience? I think that this is a, this word gets used so often in, in restaurants and, and it was not something I learned until I started speaking to owners and chefs. When you talk about an operator, 
where you talk about chefs saying, I operate a restaurant. I think for the average lay person, they're like, what, where does the operator fit into it? Isn't there just a chef and a cook and a server? Like, what the hell's an operator? So I, it's a little bit like when people say, what is a producer, I imagine, right? So can That's you explain actually, what operations means and how this fits into the picture of a restaurant for people? So I would say operators, the best way to describe a really good operator is if you've ever seen a Swiss Army knife, it's like a Swiss Army knife that has all the tools. So maybe you're, you're really good with some of the tools. You have all the tools. So I would say you're a master of nothing, but you're exceptional at everything. So you're, you're really nimble and you're able to pivot. So in our industry, being an operator, it's having, you know, really understandings of HR practices, wage and hour laws, training on the floor, knowing how to, uh, to stock a bar, inventory methodology. The, the, the world's actually gotten more complicated for all of us because things we used to do on paper, we have all these digital tools now where everybody sells it that, hey, that's going to make your life easier. But the reality is it's like using a bunch of computers. You got to put a lot of clean data in to get clean data out. So operations is a catch-all phrase, Chris, which it means you're you're really master of nothing, but you have to do everything. And that's what it means to be an operator. Finance, accounting, all of it. You're like the... It's the actual real terminology for what a restaurateur should mm -hmm. do. <laughs> but it's the cooler, cooler name to some degree. But also, it's a different title altogether. And to me, an operator or someone that is known as a great operator, in America, I could probably say not as many fingers, you know, less than 10, you know? that I could think of that I would say, yeah, they're a great operator. And when you hear a restaurant group has this kind of operator, you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, like it, it, it brings a gravitas that you would not normally expect. It's like with someone the, else. Uh, the wolf in Pulp Fiction, right? It's the guy who's just going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, and I'd like to make the distinction between a restaurateur and operator because, you know, you can have a good operator. It doesn't make you a great restaurateur. Restaurateurs are typically, and I like to say that they're artists, Dave's in the category, Danny Meyer, Jose Andres. Like, and it, it's not to say that we all don't have talent, but some people have other talents. Some people can paint a canvas that no matter how many times I try to make a dish or I try to perfect a dish, you know, it, it's almost the equivalent of music. There's a lot of people that can play the Beatles, but there's only one Paul McCartney. And I think that's just that one nuance and difference of having, you know, some special insight and connection with creating environments that creates great restaurant tours. But what we, what we like to do as operators is how do I support that vision? How do I perfect that vision? How do I systemize things to make sure that that vision and whatever Dave would create for a restaurant environment, we actually always try to aspire to live up to it because the restaurant tours are the ones, they're the artists of the industry. And it's never going to be most great restaurant tours are always perpetually frustrated. Yeah, that's why he's laughing because in his mind, the vision of that perfection is so clear, but then it requires a team and a village to execute it. And that's what the operator is there for. You're always going to aspire to hit that, that founder's vision, but it's almost impossible. And that's part of the love and the beauty of this industry. You're never going to get it exactly perfect. But if you like that challenge and you want to keep pushing and you want to keep getting there, it's that that endeavor for perfection, which makes this such a beautiful industry. And Ron, being at the top, top tier, you know, the tier one, if this is a pyramid of operators and he's too modest to ever, you know, admit to that, which is why I love him. Um, I think at the base level, your, your, your most low level job as an operator, whether you're of a group of restaurants, 
a large group, small group, or one or two, is your your job, your base job is just to make sure that everything runs on time. Your trains are running. The train can run, right? That is it. But everything that Ron just described, the the multifaceted Swiss tool, the master of none approach, it's not easy to do. And you can only, can you, can you become a great operator in your early 20s? Not that age is a thing, but don't you need to see things? Don't you need to experience things? Don't you need to have many kinds of jobs and experiences to be a great operator? It's it's not an age limit, but it's a more of a time frame of how much you can experience. That's what I feel. You're, I, I used to think that was 100% correct. My whole career, I thought I need to learn more. I need to do more. I think all of us have always felt that way. I have on a strange and random occasion come across a couple of people that I actually envied. They were young. They didn't know what they didn't know, and they weren't afraid of it, and they actually started restaurant groups. And I'm thinking, how do you start a restaurant group when you haven't gone through all of these positions and training? And I would say that that's an exception to the rule, because the reality of nine out of 10 people that try to do that, they're never going to make it. But I have met a few people where I've been really quite inspired, young people, where I'm like, how did you grow this restaurant group? You're like 26 years old. You have multiple units. And the response that I've gotten is, I didn't know what I was getting into, and I just had to figure it out. And ultimately, even in all of our careers, I think that's just the nature of how it is. You can always learn more. You can always do more. But um, you know, m- more often than not, I think we all would agree, you have to physically be present. You have to be in the operations. You need to understand all of it before you can start to design it, develop it, build it, and create a good path for others to be able to follow. Is that the best career advice you can give to somebody that's saying like, hey, I don't want to be a chef. I don't want to be a lot of different roles, but I want to be in restaurants. I'm really good at getting stuff done, working with other people. How, how, does, how do you get there then? You know, what's, the, what's the approach to becoming you then? Uh, right? yeah. if, uh-huh. if someone's listening like, hey, I want, I want to be like Ron. Like, what's the next step then? How does, do you apply? Do you, and we'll get to that in a second too, Ron, but like, I feel a lot of people are like, just show me how and I'll yeah, do you it. Gotta, you got you to be tenacious. I remember when I first came to New York after culinary school, I'd worked in a lot of restaurants before culinary school, but this was back in the day, Dave, where I, I wanted to work at Gotham Bar and Grill and I couldn't get in the door. So I sat outside with my resume and I waited until the sous chef came out to meet with the tomato vendor. And you know, I'm, I'm from Colorado. I don't realize that if you walk up to somebody in New York City, people are like, you must be crazy. So I walked <laughs> up with my resume put it in front of his face. And I always remember his name was Martin. He was CDC. I, I think he thought I was a crazy person. I said, I want to work for you guys. So it's tenacity first, get your foot in the door, work in operations. But I, I would applaud you, Dave, and others in the industry because you've created a way for people to engage our industry in different ways. Technology has changed it. Whether or not somebody wants to go into consumer packaged goods and start small products, and even if you're baking out of your own kitchen for a while, if you want to get into media, and media is a tough business, but if you want to have a, your own little blog, there's so many ways to engage this industry now compared to how it used to be, that if you have a love for food and a passion for food, you can come at it from different ways. But if you want to be an operator, you got to be in the business, behind the bar, behind the dish station, in the kitchen, and you, you have to learn over time. That's what it means to be an operator. What's the, what's the Ron, what was your first restaurant job that was not on the floor or on the line? Like what, what is the, what is the first job you get when you're on the path to being an operator? That's not now, now I'm behind the scenes. Now I'm 
producing the show? What's the first job you get? So the first job that I received where I wasn't physically having to run operations, they call it operations manager. Um, other companies might have a different term. I'm not sure, Dave, if you have it in your company. Operations manager is a loose term to say that you're basically the tour knot. You're going to be thrown into situations to fix things. So you actually go into businesses. You help either coach them or stabilize them. But the goal is, is that you're, you're really, um, I'll call it a corporate employee. And you get to help with strategy, but it's really the base level entry point to start making your way through the corporate ladder. You want to be an operations manager first, helping other operators. And then the one thing everybody always says to me over the last 30 plus years in this industry, everybody I meet who wants to get in our industry, they always say the same thing. I want to be in business development. Every, everybody. <laughs> Can we talk everybody about Everybody I know. And I'm thinking, all right, so what have you developed? And the answer is like, no, I just want to do business development. I'm like, well, you got to actually run the business to know how to develop the business. And even though those are all of us who have done this for so long, you know, I look back on stuff that I opened last year, the year before, I always see things that we could do better. And that's, that's really where, where I think my focus is for the next couple of years is I've always felt as an industry how do we create ways to share best practices across organizations? Even though we're competitive, we're very familial in this industry. We will always help each other out. But, you know, sure enough, if you're next to your competitor on the same street, you don't want to see your next door neighbor doing better than you. So it's like, how do you take that family spirit and start to figure out ways to pay it forward? Because even if you have the best playbook, I mean, we all know this. If you had the best playbook to open a restaurant, there are so many variables. That playbook's only going to get you 80% of the way there and 20%. You just got to figure out how to work it and you got to make sure that you power through things. You really nailed it, uh, Ron, with business development. And I feel that actually has changed now because the same people that were asking to be business development uh, employees, many of them are coming out of business school, right? What do they do? Oh, you mean biz dev? They, they, they crunch numbers. Yeah. So they're, they're really proficient at knowing how to, to work a model and you need to know how to do that. And a lot of the, the really bright young generation coming up, I mean, they take a lot of business strategy, but there is such a human component to what we do that it's not, it's not something that you can develop with just a spreadsheet and strategy. Um, Dave, to your point, when we talk about operations and the trains running on time, let's say a good part of the job is being empathetic, really listening to your team members because it is a human game, no matter what. I mean, one of the beauties of this industry is I always used to think my family did not want me to get in the hospitality industry. Everybody in our family is either technology or an engineer. I was the, the black sheep of the family. I disappointed everybody. And what's so beautiful about the arc of what's happened in our industry. I mean, back in the day to be a chef and to say you wanted to be a chef, people were like, that's not a real career. It's come full circle. And what's beautiful about it is technology continues to advance and we are a more digital age and using phones. The one thing that actually resonates with people is that human connection. You're never going to be able to replicate that with AI or robots sitting at a table and sitting at major domo or any, you know, I go to a noodle bar and I'm with friends. You can't replicate that on a computer. So as technologically forward as we're going, I'm proud that our industry actually carries more weight emotionally with people because I think that's going to matter more in the coming years. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's something happening, which is why a lot of the individuals that were trying to apply for biz dev jobs now want to be operators. And I find it to be a head scratcher 
because they're a little bit maybe overqualified to to just like get an entry level job, but that's sort of what they need to do. Um, because everybody wants to be an operator. Well, everybody wants to be Ron Parker. That's just a fact. <laughs> that is not the case. But it's real. It's really cool. You, you're talking about biz dev, and I'm thinking about all these crazy financial models that, that the younger generation can do. Because I'm old school. I'm a Neanderthal. I'll do a model, but I'm, I'm two keys. And I'm just thinking about, you know, with ChatGPT and all the technology that's coming our way, how that changes our industry, quite frankly. I wouldn't be surprised if in three or five years, you're able to get AI to generate financial models for you, drawing data from a lot of different restaurants. So, I mean, that special skill set to do financial modeling, that's probably going to be automated. What's not going to get automated is operations, being a chef, being on the floor, being a SOM. So those those are the things that, uh, you know, it's about the basics. It's about human interaction. And I want people to listen, know that I, I didn't have Ron on just to, you know, talk about this. I I did because it's also something that we have a lot of people that are listeners of all walks of life and industries, but I do know a good portion of them are probably listening to this right now on the radio. They're prepping out for lunch service and they're thinking to themselves, like, I wonder what the next move is or, Hey, you know, I, I, I ran a pop-up during COVID and I'm working at another restaurant again, but I really want, I like that entrepreneurial spirit. I I want to, take the next step to being my own boss and accomplishing my dream of having my own little spot. The, the main reason I'm here is to really not, I don't want to say shill. That's not it. I think it's the most useful thing for the hospitality industry today. And when Ron told me what he was working on, I immediately said, yeah, this is a no brainer. Like how could it not exist? And I, I wanted everyone, if you're, they're, they're not familiar who Ron Parker is like, Carries a lot of serious weight. He's done it all. He's been extremely successful and he's always given back. And that's the one thing I always love about Ron. He is always there to help. Like nonstop, I'm here to help. His service is like a major component of who he is. And I want to speak for you, but that's how I always think of you is always trying to add value for other people, be a good person. And when he told me, he's like, hey, I'm tired of everyone sort of like not having access to certain things, the way you started off talking about the restaurant industry in and of itself. And you had an idea. I was like, yes, I I think this is important. It's why I want to talk about it because it doesn't exist. And you can take over from here. What did you create and why did you create it? Because there's many people listening to this that will use this. I have no doubt, right? I, I only want to talk about things that I back and I'm really, really passionate about because this is something that if it was in my life, when I was starting at Momofuku, Hmm. man, I I don't know what it would be like. So much time was wasted trying to just figure things out that did not exist. And the irony is almost 20 years later, 20 years later, it still doesn't exist. It's almost like the stupid crucible that you force people to go through and it's already hard enough. So I'll shut up right now, Ron. Like, what am I so excited about? I've been hearing about it a while. So we, uh, we created a platform. It's called Hospitality Multiple, HMX. Um, the website is hmxus.com. And the sole purpose of it is truly, in its most basic form, to give back because this industry is hard. Um, you got a lot of curveballs. And, you know, Dave, over the years, I'm sure you can attest to this. 
I've seen a lot of brilliant, wonderful friends, front of house, back of house, tons of talent who had every promise in the world to be able to create their concept. And it's not only just the amount of soul and energy you put into creating something, it's the amount of capital. And my frustration was there's so many things that could go wrong along that journey. So even if you have the talent, if you don't know how to negotiate a really good lease and you don't have parameters for negotiating a good lease, you could have the best idea in the world and it's gone before anybody gets to see it. And so in addition to that, the goal of Hospitality Multiple was how do we take the veil back and give options for people how they can raise capital? So it first started out as a capital raising platform. It took nine months to get approved with FINRA and SEC to be a registered firm. It allows people to raise anywhere from upwards of $5 million on a Reg C basis is what they call it, to you could do unlimited, you could do Regulation D, and you could do $300 million if you wanted to. The reason for that, that desire to start that was to provide entrepreneurs and people in our industry, which our industry has a track record of saying, don't invest in hospitality, it's a bad investment. I actually want to buck that trend. And this is the aspiration. How do we provide people a way to raise capital, control their equity? And at the same time, and this was the most important part of the nine months it took to get approved through FINRA, I didn't want to tr- create a transaction warehouse. That's not what fuels the emotion of what we do in this industry. I wanted to figure out, are there things that we could have used in our history that would have helped us a little more? So we created a section of the site, which is called Pros. It is effectively the Angie's list of the hospitality industry. Every company you can think of by every category. And we take regular recommendations for people that we should list, but it's architects, engineers, designers, construction workers. I mean, you name it, it's on there. But we wanted to make it interactive. So if I didn't know Dave and he had a profile on the site and I saw that he used somebody within the pros, I could send him a text message directly and he can respond back because, Dave, to your point, if you pick the wrong contractor, imagine on your very first restaurant, you got a bag recommendation, you pick the wrong contractor and it cost you a million more or it delayed you six months. It can absolutely be soul crushing and it can kill a great idea and a great talent before it sees the light of day. So it was capital raising, pros, and then the last part, and this is is absolutely what I always feel about our industry. Um, we have a section of the site called Connect, which is really a talent portal for everybody in our industry, um, anybody who's Gen Next coming up or anybody who's known, where we create many micro websites for them for free. And it's a biz dev funnel. So as you're filling out your profile, if Dave comes in and says, hey, I'm going to be on Connect, doesn't cost anything, social media connection, but he fills out a form that's, I want business development for licensing. I want domestic uh, JV deals. I want management. I want media. So we tried to think of most companies can't afford a biz dev department. I mean, you got to be a pretty big restaurant company to be able to afford it. And most of the time, if you're in the kitchen all day, how are you doing biz dev? So we need to create a digital resource for people, and it's a love letter to our industry to not only promote this talent, but then get them connected with the people that are looking for the talent. So it's the Marriott's of the world, it's the Hyatt's, you know, airline companies. Those are the people that will pay to be able to make sure that they can access talent in one spot. And instead of making 75 different phone calls, they actually upload their project. And if it matches with the talent, Dave's phone will pop with a little icon saying, you've got mail. And that mail is actually biz dev. So we're trying to look at ways to hack the industry to really kind of, I'll call it demystify some of the stuff that everybody always 
associates with BizDev. So how do we create the BizDev type pipeline? How do we create resources? How do we create capital? I figure out if we do that quite well, um, the next step is, is mentors, but then I feel like we're paying it forward. And even with that toolkit, Dave, I think you would admit, even with that toolkit, still a tough road. Extremely tough. And there are so many elements of hospitality MX that, I know unequivocally, it's a guarantee, is extremely useful and helpful. And you can't say that for a lot of products because they don't either exist or it's just not actually like helpful. I mean, so many things are trying to actually deter you f- off your path or actually just suck mm-hmm. money from you. I was, um, I was, you know, I, sorry, go ahead, sorry. And, no, no, I just, this company, this idea, Hospitality MX, is Ron Parker. It, it it actually is what he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if you've actually looked at it that way, but when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh shit, this is just Ron. It's Ron in 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 computer form. You know, it's almost like Ron, Ron Chat GPT. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it really is because everything that it does, not everyone can get access to you. I know you wish you could. There's very few people that carry the weight that Ron does, that has the experience and the scene as much. So many things. If he's able to help you, you take it very seriously and you're very grateful for it. And I think what you've done is to create a growing platform that's constantly going to get better, that allows you to do the things that you do for so many people and make it accessible. Because I think service, and I said that before, is a huge part of who you are. It's just in your DNA. And I don't want someone listening who's like, oh, this is bullshit. That's not who he is. Like, no, no, it really is who Ron Parker is. And not everyone needs to have the stereotypical image of what someone in the restaurant world is because Ron isn't that. And I'm very, very happy, beyond happy that you're doing this because it's going to help people. I have no doubt in my mind. I mean, as you guys are are talking about this, I mean, I'll be honest, I I wasn't entirely sure. Like I've never owned a restaurant, run a restaurant, you know, I've been, I've worked in many restaurants, but as you talk right now, and I'm sure this is the same for you, Dave, I'm having very vivid memories of friends who were trying to start their business, who had, who had all the talent in the world, chefs specifically, who had great ideas, who had, you know, run pop-ups or done, or were on their way to a business or had one first location, one brick and mortar, and were trying to grow a business who exactly what you said, Ron, like don't know how to negotiate a deal, didn't know how to raise the right kind of capital, got into very bad arrangements. And I know a lot of people firsthand, close friends who basically, basically lost their whole career because they didn't have direction or structure. And, and it's not their fault, right? Like we all know people who get into this business don't, you know, generally didn't go to business school and then decide to go open a restaurant and happen to have extraordinary talent and something to say, you know, they come from different places where they weren't trained to do these things. And as you're talking, I am thinking, Chang, about a lot of people in that mid-aughts, you know, early 2010s era that kind of lost their way, I think because there weren't resources like this. So, I, you know, my... Qu- no, no question. No question, Chris. And it's still happening. You know, I, there's... There's people that I love that are trying to open up restaurants. Ron, <clears throat> this is the trend. Tr- signing a lease without having the money raised. Wow. Like, that's yeah. super crazy. 
And I, I don't know how to dissuade them because they feel like that's what's necessary now. And I can't, you know, this bothers me that this is a growing trend. I, I, I don't want to crush their dreams. I was like, there's got to be another way. This is too crazy for you to do this. And creating a forum or some way for maybe finding an alternative to making that happen, this medium can help accomplish. And yeah, at the end of the day, as much as I make fun, as much as I criticize this business, I love this job the most. And everyone that's in it that does it the right way, it's hard enough. This business is so damn hard to start that, you know, even if all this stuff is provided for you, it's still going to be damn near impossible. And signing bad contracts, Jesus, have I signed my share of bad contracts? Because I didn't know who, who do you call? You know, when I was 27, we got a cease and desist from Nissan Foods. You know, like what? <laughs> who do I call? Thankfully, because of Tom Colicchio and, you know, I had people that I could ask and then people will help out. But I was in a very unique situation where I had work for people. A lot of people don't have those resources or it just doesn't happen. It doesn't materialize. Time and time again, there have been times, whether it's in like a permit that I didn't know I needed to have, this can help you. Even from like a legal Zoom perspective, which is actually one of the things I'm most excited about. There's so many goddamn permits that you need to start a business, whether it's your alcohol, whether it's your, you know, safety, fire code, whatever. There's like 20 of them that you need to renew all of these things or just get. How do you, who do you ask? You find out the hard way or you pay some expediter, some extraordinary fee to do the work that only he knows how to do. And it does not, it's just not true. So yeah, this is a very important business um, that doesn't exist to help other people start their dreams and to connect, right? There's so many times I wish I could ask, hey, I actually have a legitimate question. I don't want to ask, say, Danny Meyer, how did you become successful? You know, I have like, hey, what was it like when you jumped from restaurant three to four? What was it like when you had your second child and you had to like be on the road a lot more? These are real questions that you want to ask somebody, but you don't have the opportunity to do that. This will be able to do. That's the goal of HMX. It's really very intentionally purpose-built with other restaurateurs, talking to people in the industry. and. Again, completely aspirational. I want us all to give back. I really do. It's just, you know, it's such a beautiful industry, but I don't like the fact, I don't like the stigma that we've held in this industry where people say one in 10 restaurants survives. That's bullshit. That means that we're not using our resources together and figuring out ways to make sure that people in the future say, guess what? You know, six out of 10 restaurants do really well. I mean, the amount of talent that we could unlock by helping the next generation. And again, I know we're all competitive. I know we all want to grow our own respective piece of the pie, but it's a big, beautiful world. I mean, it was just this morning. One of the guys that's listing with us with Ali Doro, it's a sandwich concept. We have a team in China that we're getting ready to launch the, the tech there. And their response to us was, wow, it would be great for the intro because we know somebody that would like to capitalize it and like to grow it in China. And so for me, it's really about the dot connecting internationally. You know, years ago, I got a text from a friend when I was working with Danny. It was one of the days that we did a simultaneous opening. We opened uh, Manhattan and Tacosina on the same day. I don't like to repeat that because you don't get the focus as much as you want. But when we opened, I was standing in Brooklyn in front of Tacosina. It had been open 30 minutes tops. 
I get a text from a friend in Shanghai who says, oh my God, I just saw it on social media. How cool is that? And that was a light bulb moment for me that how quickly the world has shrunk because of media and digital media. It used to have to be that if you're going to open a restaurant, Danny, Richard Crane, the partners, long before I joined that company, you had to get in a car and you had to go travel and you would get out a map and you would go to different restaurants and you would experience things. Now you can travel the world digitally. And so my goal for all of us working together is figuring out how do we demystify growing internationally, growing domestically, get better resources, figure out you know, better visibility on permits and compliance. How do you raise capital? I mean, that's it sounds complicated, but that's really the tip of the iceberg relative to everything else you need to do to be successful. And, and I feel our, our industry deserves it. And anything I can do to make it happen, um, I'm going to put everything into it. Ron, would you agree that, I mean, I know that some of what we just talked about is starting your own business, but I think one of the things that may get overlooked is if you are one of the few that get to be successful and you grow, every time you grow, it's new problems, right? There, there are a couple chefs this year that have reached out to me that I'm helping you know, offline because they have really popular restaurants and it's a little overwhelming and they're getting flooded with offers. Who do they ask? You know, like they're in that inflection point. This does not exist. It legitimately doesn't exist. And it, it doesn't have to be someone that's just starting out. This is for the the up and coming, the grizzle veteran. Um, so uh, I, again, I, I can't believe it didn't exist yeah. before. It's yeah, sort of well, crazy. I mean, working in the tech space, I can tell you, I mean, David, I'm learning new things every day. I'm, I'm, I'm in the deep end of the pool. I'm an operator. I'm a restaurant guy. I could go in the kitchen and make a mess and do an okay job. But now I'm working in a tech space. So my learning curve, trying to take everything that we know in this industry and apply it to a tech space is a steep learning curve. But to your point, the reason that you talk about, I'll call it mentorship. Um, one piece of advice I got from a legendary restaurateur, you guys all know Rich Melman. Melman family's been around a long time. Um, large organization. What I showed him, what we were starting to create, he had a stroke of brilliance. He said, look, you're helping people raise capital. You give them access to professionals so they can talk to other people about their experiences. And he's like, it's great that you're helping with biz dev. But he asked me a simple question. How do you account for mentorship? And my response to him was, I don't, but I can create, I would say, a dating site. So right now, the dev that's being created for mentors, it's free for the industry. I want legends and people in our industry that can add value to sign up. It's free for them. And then anybody that's coming in, Gen Next Talent, you could even be mid-career, quite frankly. I mean, if there are people out there that have 20 restaurants that want to talk to somebody who's got 60 restaurants. Because the path between 20 to 60 is very different. The path from number one to 20 is very different. So I think we all need access to mentors who've been there, done that. And that's the goal of the mentorship program is that you get invited to it. It's private. You're in the industry. You get to see bios of other mentors. Dave, if you're a mentor on there, you don't have to respond to people. But if they show you their business plan and you like it, you get connected, you you add some value. And that that's the goal. It's to really kind of, again... I think if we all put our heads together and we keep building this the right way, the goal is to make sure that people sweat equity, their soul, their energy, everything they're putting into these restaurants, which actually create the fabric of our communities, that we can move the needle from one in 10 survives to six in 10 survive. And that, that's, that's my hope for our industry with this platform. Again, very aspirational, 
but that's that's why I love talking to people like Dave and Jose and everybody. It's how do we just make this better for others that are coming after us? And if you're listening to this and you're not in the hospitality business, you're probably thinking, oh, this doesn't you know, apply to me, but you probably know somebody that's thinking about doing it, right? Taking that next step. And you should share this with them. This is a extremely important tool. And um, yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I wish it was around when I started out. That's for sure. You and me both. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Ron? No, I, I would say uh, I just need to, to drop the plug for people who want to see it. So it's uh, www.hmxus.com. And uh, we're always open to listen to commentary. We want people in the industry and out of the industry to tell us what they want to see more of. And it's it's about making sure that we pay it forward in our industry. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, I can't speak of Ron more highly enough. <laughs> He's somebody that my organization uses quite a bit. And I hope if you're listening, his sincerity and earnestness to give back came through because that exactly is who he is, Ron is. And that we need more of Ron. And it's hard because he's one person. He's constantly in demand. And this is a way to amplify his help to everybody. So this is something I, I full confidence will help make operating, making decisions in the hospitality business much, much better. And, you know, I talked about permitting. There, there's an aspect here where it will, depending on your location, tell you what you need to start your restaurant business or a business in general because some of that permitting is the same. It doesn't exist. Like, when I say the word expediter, and if you've done any kind of building projects, you've probably hired an expediter. But for restaurants, there's a literally a job, at least in New York, where you pay somebody money to navigate the complex web of getting permits in New York, New York City specifically. Several thousands of dollars. Right. Because it's so stupid. <laughs> this is not the expediter who works in the line. This is somebody who you pay to navigate the arcane world of permits and city hall. And there's and you, so you many once permits. Stood, you like, I forget. Well, what is the, what is the yeah, story? Yeah, I didn't from? have the money to do it, so I had to do it myself. And, and uh, it's a lot of time just figuring it out. And back then, there were no websites, really. Yeah. Right? You literally just stood there in the basement. You're just of- asking around, like, how do I do this? What do you do? There was no template to follow. Um, and, you know, Ron, I think, accurately spoke about how unfair the sort of the, the, the deck is stacked to a lot of people, right? If you don't have access to capital, you're not going to be able to do these things. And I think this helps level the playing field quite a bit because if you have the money, then you could just hire somebody to do all this for you. And most people don't. And I would say a lot of great ideas die on the vine because of permitting and then raising the money. So first you got to raise the money, then you got to do the permitting. It's very difficult. You have the building permits, the alcohol license, the food safety permitting, the fire, the water, the, you know, at least a dozen different permits, which ones do you need to renew, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, 
it's those things that proved to be one of the most stressful when building out a restaurant. And it was for me when I, when I started Momofugu. Um, and I would say the mentor, like being able to talk to people still to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to talk to one of the guys that starts, started PF Chang's or, uh, you name it. And a lot of times I try to just find time if I can to just like pick their brain. Like, are you still happy doing this? It's not about figuring out how do I grow my gross revenue to X, Y, Z? Sure. You can ask them that, but at the same time, so much of this is a lonely road, especially in any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, but the hospitality business is cutthroat at times, but it's also not. And I think while we are competitive with each other, you genuinely are trying to help each other out because when you see like-minded individuals, you want to help them out. And I feel blessed to have been helped out so much. And I'm, you know, just trying my best, which is whether, you know, you believe it or not, I, I talk to so many fucking people uh, trying to help them. Um, not in my business, no nothing. And, and, and it's the least that I can do. So, so, you know, being able to speak to people you know, not everyone can be in New York City or San Francisco or, or Los Angeles, too. So being able to be told, like, you know what? What I'm going through is fucking hard. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that jump from the first restaurant to the second restaurant. Very difficult. Nobody mm-hmm. tells me this shit. You just do it. You think that's what you're supposed to do. And I set a benchmark. This is what I tell people. Hey, you're doing the first to second. This is what you need to do. You need to set an impossible goal. And my goal has always been, okay, you're going to divert all your resources to the second restaurant because you have to, you're, mm-hmm. you, you may not have a corporate office. You might not have all the staff that you hope to have one day. You cannot do and operate the second restaurant until you feel that the restaurant number one operates better without you there. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how you can successfully operate restaurant too. And people ask like, how do I do that? I'm like, I don't have the answer. I'm just telling you what you need to reverse engineer, buddy. Right? Like you need to make sure before the doors open and you do friends and family for restaurant number two, that your original restaurant that was successful enough to get you restaurant two will operate better when you're not there. Where was this advice when I was having a second kid, Dave? This is, what the, this is what I needed. Don't have a second one until the first one runs itself. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's not easy to do, but you may not always get there, but these are the goals. These are the things that nobody told me. Yeah. And I'll tell somebody, like, that second step up is fucking hard. It's mm-hmm. so hard because now you've got not just double the problems. It feels way more than that. Um, so, you know, like, you, you, the idea that you have to be at the restaurant all the time I understand to be true in certain kinds of restaurants, but I think if you're a chef slash entrepreneur restaurateur, one of the goals that you should have for yourself to have a better balance of life too is can, does the restaurant operate better without you there? You know, um, make yourself replaceable. These are things I've seen time and time again, like make yourself replaceable. Like my name's on the door. Like, I don't give a shit. Like you got to make yourself replaceable. How do you do that? Well, I don't know, but you got to figure it out. No one's going to figure it out other than you, but I don't want to, you don't have to waste time anymore being like, oh, is this where I need to go? So, yeah, I don't know if what I said just made any sense. No, no, that's, I think, I think that's, I'm again, when we were talking to Ron, I was sort of flashing to a lot of friends of mine who, who could have used this sort of, 
help. And as you say that, <laughs> my mind flashes to a lot of people, some of them the same, were just could have probably heard that very simple advice. And it's like you said, you can't give more higher resolution advice than, than that. Everyone's got to figure out that part for themselves. But the basic idea of how can you expect to open another restaurant if you can't even leave the first one alone? I mean, there's really so we could go so much deeper into this scenario, right? This has happened, and not just to me, but to everybody. You get, let's just say you get it. It operates better without me there. You, you're literally about to bring friends and family in for your second restaurant. And then two key people decide to leave restaurant one. Like, then what are you supposed to do? I, I did exactly what you said. It's better without me. Guess what? These impossible situations will happen all the time. And if you're uncomfortable with that impossibility, it's not the right decision for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. have an answer. You just have to endure that pain because it's going to suck. <laughs> Straight up. It's just going <laughs> to suck. Also good advice. Yeah. All right. That's a uplifting note. <laughs> We gave him some good dating advice. Yeah, it's okay. To- Remember what sushi actually means. It's sexy time. Give us five stars.